Welcome to the Out of the Woods Podcast. The top five headlines threat hunters need to be thinking of this week. Welcome to another edition of the Out of the Woods Threat Hunting Podcast. This is Scott Poley here with Lee Arkinall, and this weekly segment features the top five stories that threat hunters need to be thinking about, as well as our thoughts on the subject and hunting strategies. So with that, let's dive into the top five threat hunting headlines for the week of December 12th, 2022. So Lee, I'll kick it off. I've got an article. Um, it's something we covered last week, actually, just because it was kind of the breaking news. But it was some follow-up things that I thought were kind of interesting things for people to think about. Um, and it was a bleeping computer article, and it's talking about Rackspace warns of phishing risks following a ransomware attack. So last week we covered Rackspace Exchange, kind of went down from a ransomware attack, and it was kind of some unknowns there, and they're still not publicly releasing how the ransomware attack actually occurred. There was mention of uh, a vulnerability being present previous to the attack of the proxy not shell or relatively previous but they haven't confirmed any of that. But I thought this was interesting because there's a lot of people that, you know, in the article were kind of irate about like, oh man, customer data must be exposed because we're getting phishing attacks. And I was looking at some of the phishing attack comments. They weren't like unique phishing attacks where people were complaining about how, hey, these are so targeted because they know how our business operates or wire fraud things, things you would expect if someone actually had access to your data or especially your, your mail, email. Um, they were more about, hey, from Rackspace trying to convince you to click and do things because you work with Rackspace and they know Rackspace is down. And I would think, and I haven't confirmed this, but you know, it's not hard to determine if you're using Rackspace's IP space for your exchange services because I'm assuming in your DNS records or your MX record, you'd be pointing to Rackspace IP and someone can, can scrape that and figure out who their customers are to try to leverage this, hey, these customers are upset, they're scrambling, we can try to take advantage of them, you know, rack space being down. So, you know, it, it, it was kind of an interesting article with people complaining. Interesting that, you know, we still have to deal with any kind of big news item, there's always going to be fishing around it. But it is good to note that, you know, a lot of the proxy shell stuff that does happen, they always try to dump a lot of the email as one of the techniques afterwards. So there was no clear evidence of that but you know when it, from a hunting strategy that that was a concern that's something you would definitely be looking for but uh, i don't know if you had any thoughts on that no it, it just goes to show again that anytime there is uh, an attack like this other threat actors or even whether they be apts or just you know script kitties or whoever will always take the chance to jump and start fishing campaigns they know that you know, there's going to be a lot of communication from Rackspace or whichever organization gets, you know, compromised. They're going to send, you know, follow-up emails of, hey, here's what we found, you know, updates, the standard operating procedures. Uh, what's nice to see is that their Rackspace is doubling down on, hey, here's what we won't ask you. Here's the information that, you know, we're not going to ask for at all. So if you see this in an email, report it. Uh, also, it's, it's nice to see that people are reporting these. Uh, and that always goes to, you know, that the the cybersecurity awareness training is, you know, it's working uh, as much as as much as we like, you know, look at it in the space of 
you know, just clicking the buttons, we're here we go again, it's October, cybersecurity awareness, that it's, it's still having an impact and that people are taking this seriously and organizations are taking this seriously, once again, which is always refreshing. Yeah, it's good. I feel like Rackspace, as much as they haven't disclosed, they've, they've definitely made a strong effort to try to help their customers as best as they can, even even if it is pushing them into another space for exchange temporarily or, you know, possibly permanent for some of their customers. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact that they even took that step just goes to show that they're they're trying, right? Yeah, it might not be the best for their business model, but they're they're trying to support their customers. Yeah, the accountability is there, right? So that's cool. All right. So do you what do you, what do you got? What's one one of the the top things you found that you want to talk about next? So I ran across a article from Deep Instinct. It's titled "New Muddy Water Threat: Old Kitten, New Tricks." Uh, and I found this fascinating because the attack itself was, you know, not super crazy or, uh, you know, fascinating. What is, is it kind of hits the bullets that we're always talking about as threat hunters, right? IOCs change like crazy. They, you know, the the tools that are being used, the uh, hashes that are being used, the file names that are being used, they, they can change quickly. IP space, you know, and whatnot. But what this article highlights, which is, I love because it, we're always talking about threat hunting is focusing on the human element. What do they do time and time again? What are their behaviors of the threat actors? Uh, what do they like to do? Because what they're doing is comfortable and they repeat the process because it's working. Uh, so basically, it covers a, a couple attacks um, from Muddy Water. So in 2020, they saw some spear phishing emails with PDFs, RTF attachments that led to a ws.onehub.com. Um, and then, you know, there there was hosted, uh, some archives were hosted, and it would, if the user clicked it, it would install a legitimate remote administrative tool, also known as a RAT, uh, that was called Remote Utilities. You know, once again, we always focus on living off the land binaries. Threat actors are using tools that they come with the OS. They're already there, so they'll blend in. But what these threat actors are also doing is they're using legitimate software that might blend into the organization's traffic as well. I don't think it mentioned if they were doing any recon to find out if these organizations that they were attacking uh, actually use these. Um, but you know, they're still using legitimate tools that might blend in. But anyways, the, the remote utilities, I looked at their website, they focused on finance, manufacturing, healthcare, education and government and information technology industries. So what that told me was that these threat actors can take a look at that site and say, all right, these are the industries they're targeting and these are the industries that we could possibly attack. So 2021 rolls around. And once again, it's another spear phishing campaign. This time, what they switched up was instead of PDFs and RTF attachments, they have direct links or Word docs leading to the same ws1hub.com. This time it dropped uh, Screen Connect, which is another legitimate rat. This time Screen Connect focuses on remote workers or IT teams and support and help. So once again, they're profiling what, like they're looking at the tools and saying, who's gonna be using these and who can we attack and who can we possibly compromise? July, 2022, the spear phishing campaign looked the same, but they replaced Screen Connect with a, a Terra agent. Now, what's worrying about this is a Terra agent now focus on MSPs and IT departments. So now we're taking a big step up. Instead of just focusing on one organization, we're now looking at organizations that may have services outsourced to MSPs, uh, which in my mind, it, it shows they're going from single targets to now they're possibly fishing for 
you know, the, the bigger fish. Like if we can get an MSP, then we can possibly get into more customers or targets. Now, the last campaign was seen in October, 2022. Uh, Spearfishing contained HTML attachments. It started switching up the names of the archives. Uh, in July, there was a promotion.msi, um, which showed up in this campaign. But then there was also another one that was, I'm gonna pronounce this, I, I probably butcher it, but it's Ertika, E-R-T-I-Q-A dot M-S-I that led to a Synchro installer, which was another legitimate rat. And this one, I looked at the website and it was talking about full, like, it's really targeting MSPs. So now it's, once again, seeing them shift from individual organizations to MSPs and tools that MSPs use, uh, is telling me that they are, once again, going for the bigger fish, trying to get a mass effect. And the reason I mentioned the Ertika.msi was that Ertika is a legitimate nonprofit organization in Saudi Arabia. Now, the reason I mentioned this is this could be a uh, false flag. They could just be using it for, you know, one of the customers they uh, actually compromised. Not sure, but it's always interesting when threat actors do something like that. Hunting for this type of activity would be kind of like a two-pronged approach, right? First, what I would do is I would take a look at what tools is my organization using already to conduct remote administration? Who's using it to enumerate your users? Uh, you know, like, you know, who are my help desk people? Who are my admins? Employees like that. Or if you have an MSP, uh, what's that look like as well? And then if you can, if you have the capability, download the free trials of these, run them in your lab environment, see what artifacts that they leave, what ports do they connect to, what, you know, what events are artifacts uh, when this tool is used. But overall, a very interesting article. Threat actors staying the same, just using different tools. Yeah, one of the things I... Uh... You know, I noticed, especially with their, their latest campaign was, you know, it seems like they have their way to social engineer people to go to file hosting, like cloud shares, like OneDrive or Dropbox or OneHub and get them to download stuff. And, you know, they're downloading it via zip because there's probably protections around anything executable. But, you know, a common way to get files there. But when you see stuff that uh, comes from those locations, especially when you don't use in their business, is always good to look for. The other thing I was also thinking about when I was kind of digging into when they're using uh, Synchro. And Atera has the same thing because I've I've you know looked at writing you know wrote stuff for Atera and our Hunter platform. But you know a lot of these actors are using these, but it seems like they do also focus on ones that have free trials because they don't want to fully register with anything that's legitimate or pay for anything that could be you know traced back to them. And like Synchro, for instance, has like a 21-day trial. So it made me think of two things. One, it might limit a subset of what people might try because some they might not offer that same free trial, but also does that also limit the window of which they'll have access? Is their intent something they can fulfill within like that 21 day period or they have to put other tools on there or switch the tool out and reinstall it with, you know, another free trial kind of thing. You know, so there might be multiple behaviors they might be able to look for, you know, within that short period of time, which I like when actors work in a very short period of time because that means they make a lot more noise. So, you know, you might might miss some things, but you have a higher chance of, of catching some things too. So that part was something I wanted to, to make mention of, but it's something too, I, you know, just while you were talking, just for curiosity's sake, I was like, oh, what are the, some of the top remote administration tools, top 10 or whatever. And within the first hit, there was a list of 15 and all the ones you mentioned, plus some other ones I'm familiar with were in that list. And like you said, I think it's really good to go out there and understand what those are, because talk about the best way to bypass, you know, the, your advanced endpoint detection tools, use legitimate software that's possibly also signed with legitimate certs, like easy way to bypass that. And now it's just a matter of what's normal in your environment or not. So yeah, it's kind of a 
one of those things that we look at is like it seems so simple, but it's also incredibly effective. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point that you mentioned about the free trial. So, like you said, you know, what what are they going to do to get? Are are they either working in such a small window that they have everything planned, or you know, what tools are they going to use or put on your machines that possibly create a backdoor to provide them further access or for a longer time? Or are they you know right. are they getting comprom or trying to compromise credentials? But yeah, that the follow on activity is probably the more interesting. Uh, so if you see that hit or if you see that, you know, rat be run in your environment, start looking, start looking further. Yeah, so the next one I think I've got, so this one I, I thought was really interesting because it's kind of like how we think about security or how people develop tools and security to try to deal with attacks and then how attackers think to get around those things. And it's uh, it's from the Hacker News and it's basically researchers detail a new attack method to bypass popular web application firewalls. So, you know, basically what, you know, a web application firewall is looking at how people are connecting to your your web apps. What does the request look like? What's possibly contained in the payload to, to block or alert or, you know, for, for common things. I kind of look at a, at a WAF as kind of like your IDS, you know, your snort for web applications. And in this case, you know, what they figured out is, for instance, for a SQL injection, if you were just to pin JSON syntax, because there's no parsing built into the WAF for the JSON, it just says, oh, I don't know what this is, and just, you know, allows it kind of thing, you know. And then in some cases, that's some ways they get around security tools. Present data that on the distant end, it's okay with it, but the security tool is not. So it just says, and then, you know, it has to make the decision, do I fail open or fail close kind of scenario. And in this case, fail open so that, you know, you don't inter interrupt or hurt, you know, any of the kind of the business operation of that web app. Like I said, it's interesting to see how people develop security tools. And they they build they build them on a premise like things should behave this way, so we're going to build detections like this or build tools like this because there's this standard. You know, attackers are always thinking about well, things are supposed to behave this way, but what happens if I break the rules, right? Just kind of like an interesting two different ways to approach you know how they want to solve that problem. And I was even taught back in whenever about you know what's the best way to look at you know exploiting protocols. And if you look at the RFCs for different protocols, they always have like language and they're like, this must be like this, or this should be like this. Like it should include a timestamp. Well, all those things it should or, or doesn't, is, it's not a must statement. Those are kind of fields and data points to play with that won't necessarily break how the protocol works, but might change its functionality because it freaks out. It also are places where if something says it should and a developer's trying to include that protocol in their stuff web app or whatever they may not include it because like well it's not really important so i'm not going to code for that so then when that becomes present because an attacker tries to use that the web app doesn't behave properly because it has no way to handle that information um, so kind of like a common high level overview of how some of these exploit type things get written for for stuff it kind of made me think of all of that all those lessons learned from from that kind of training obviously a lot of the the WAFs that were mentioned here once they found this out they were able to quickly build the parsers and update them so if you have your WAFs up to date it should be able to handle this but just a constant reminder that you know how attackers think and it's and it's not necessarily like this oh they're these crazy engineering type it's just like oh let's just try this and see what happens um type of scenario so i thought this was a really cool way to attack wasps because i don't really read about a lot of attacks against wasps so i think the overall message here is blue team or red team whatever you are threat actor 
it helps to read the documentation. Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, if you're going to give all that information saying, you know, like you said, it has to be here, this is expected, so this is what it should look for. Yeah, that, that seems like an easy uh, way to just throw stuff at the wall, right, and see what sticks, um, mm -hmm. which is always the hacker mindset. Now, that's, that's a really interesting detail that you mentioned, so I appreciate that. Yeah, so let's see, do you got uh, the next one to jump oh, yes. to? So this is a uh, article from Velexity, and it's called Buyer Beware, Fake Cryptocurrency Applications Serving as Front for Apple Juice Malware. This is, once again, focusing on uh, Lazarus Group, who likes to show up, especially when it comes to cryptocurrency or any financial stuff, because, you know, North Korea is heavily embargoed. Trade is very, very limited. Uh, so their main, what their goal is for when they're hacking uh, is financial gain, right? Because they're a very poor country. They're trying to get as much money as they can. And I forget uh, which report pushed out that what they got like millions of dollars in cryptocurrency last year. Just you know that was their that was their goal, and they did it. So this is uh, them you know showing up again uh, using the Apple Juice malware. They uh, the lures were all uh, again job opportunities. So we've seen that in the past of saying, hey, you know, would you like a better job? We want to make more money. Check out the you know job description here. Click on it, and then you're infected. The website they used, which is blocksholder.com, was their domain, but what they did was they just cloned a legitimate website. So once again, you go there, it looks legitimate, everything looks fine, and then it installed a open source Qt Bitcoin trader um, along with the Apple Juice malware. And then a scheduled task was set to run for any user on logon, which would eventually perform DLL sideloading. Basically, the uh, executable would trigger, it would look for a DLL, and it the Lazarus group would drop a malicious DLL in the path of the executable so that it would call the malicious DLL instead of the legitimate one. At right now, the, as much information as I have is that it was gathering system information and shipping it off to a C2 or a command and control server, um, which you know expected from there is whatever information they get on their end, they're going to start looking for exploits. They're going to start doing their due diligence for uh, vulnerabilities in the system. And then, you know, whatever information they have, they're going to just use those exploits for further on uh, activity. Once again, Lazarus Group focusing on cryptocurrencies and for financial gain. Yeah, so I think this is interesting because um, I remember hearing reports about North Korea in general about how they had a lot of aspirations to do a lot of things this coming year. And obviously the things they listed will require a lot of funding. So, you know, I think this kind of lines up with some of that, but I'm sure there's other things going on where I would expect to see whatever types of cyber, because they do fund a lot of the things through their cyber operations. I would expect to see anything that is good or true to making lots of money when it comes to cyber operations that North Korea will be kind of behind a lot um, this coming year um, based on some of the things I was reading. So that comes from like potentially ransomware. If ransomware actually is paying out well, if ransomware isn't, I can see other types of techniques that people have used to get information that can help lead into making money in general. And then the other thing I thought was interesting, so, you know, you mentioned the DLL siloing, and I, I don't know, because I haven't really looked at how the specific siloing they were doing, you know, as far as what they were trying to take advantage of, because, you know, typical DLL siloing, there's three, like three different things when an executable runs to find the correct DLL to load. And the first thing is whatever's hard-coded in the EXE. If there's a path to the DLL where it's supposed to grab and it's hard-coded, the EXE goes there first. And if it's missing, then the next step is it says, okay, I don't see where it's supposed to be based on, you know, what's coded. Let me see if it's next to me. 
So then it looks within the same folder that the exe is run from. And then if it sees it there, then it's good. If it doesn't, then the next step is it goes to the default system directory because it might be a DLL that's associated with the system it's just supposed to pull in and use. So there's like three different places it looks. And in this case, what was really interesting was it was a DLL that wasn't the first DLL to look for. It actually, whatever, you know, it ran the camera setting UI host exe, which pulled in a DLL. And then that DLL then calls another DLL, and that's the one that was sideloaded. And I don't know if that's like a technique that helps maybe get around some security tools because it's like, oh, if it's the second or third DLL called, maybe they don't get inspected the same. Or if that was just something they just did because they knew how to do it that way kind of thing. I'll, those things always fascinate me is why not just do the hijacking on the first DLL versus waiting for the second one to load kind of thing. So something else I was, I was kind of thinking about when I was – you know, looking through this um, as far as DLL sideloading goes, you know, that was kind of slightly uniquely different. I think that's all I got there. Yeah, no, that, that was interesting. The article even mentioned, like, you know, why did they even add this extra step? And I believe they called it um, chained DLL sideloading. Yeah, um, like yeah. Like you mentioned, where they're not just going off the first, but once again, maybe they're just trying to hide in with legitimate activity and blend in. But yeah, no, it's a very good point. Like, I, I don't know what, DLLs that any tools are looking for were flagged for, like you said, the first or second or third, or whatever. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, so this next one I thought was kind of an interesting thing that uh, goes on on the interwebs, but it's from the Hacker News and it's the Hack for Hire group targets travel and financial entities with new JannyCab malware variant, if I'm saying that correctly. And basically it's it's a Hack for Hire group named Evil Num. It, what's interesting is it's like a group that goes and gets access. And in this case, they're using this JannyCab backdoor. It's basically a, a, a VBS type script or VBS type you know, execution once they pull things in. But what's interesting about the, the concept is like this hack for hire, because you know a lot of times you, know, you hear about there's an adversary and they attack an entity. And in this case, you've got a group that literally is saying, hey, we'll get into an organization and steal whatever information you want. So in some instances, this might be relevant to like the, um, I forgot the term that's used, but you know, where a business actually wants to get information from their competitors. That, that was always a threat that was brought up. And I'm sitting there thinking when I was learning about the different types of threats and the one for, you know, your, you know, competition trying to get your information is then kind of thing well who hires a team of people that does that that's like highly illegal but obviously in the world <laughs> that not all the rules are the same and in this case you know if you actually had a group you can go to that can get the information for you uh, it becomes more of a possibility in, in that set so maybe that that actor class or that scenario is more realistic and in this case it seems to be so it was just kind of an interesting way where these actors going in that they'll gather whatever information they need. They did kind of use um, unlisted old YouTube links, which I thought were interesting or kind of weird, but uh, just the concept of, you know, obviously the heavily use of the VB script stuff. And then on top of that, just they're actually working on the behalf of somebody else, right? And so it's almost like their tech, not necessarily their techniques, but what they are going after can consistently change depending on who their target is, because it might not be for the same reasons. Now I don't we I know we don't play the attribution game, but I, I could see this causing a lot of problems for those who do attribution. Like that's their job, you know, like you know, cyber intel people. Where, like you said, they're never sticking to the same target, or they might run across the same target a couple campaigns, but mm -hmm. 
constantly rolling with it and saying, all right, yeah, well, we're going to attack healthcare. We're going to do finance. All right, government now. That's That always makes it hard to kind of point where they're going. I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but I guess the best way to figure it out though, or figure out if it's the same group is enumerating their processes, taking a look at how they get in. Um, mm-hmm. What do they do afterwards? You know, once they get the compromised machine, you know, where do they go from there? What living off the land binaries do they use? How do they laterally move? How do they, you know, privilege escalate? All things like that. It's always uh, interesting when it comes to what they, they use the term mercenaries. Like, right. what a crazy world we live in where people are just like, yeah, let's do this. We'll just hack for you. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I think they did mention, actually, the one of the, the, the key things they almost consistently go after within the companies that they get in into is you know company presentations software licenses email credentials documents containing customer lists investments and trading operations you know it's a very business specific and that's why it made me think of competitors right like i feel like most individuals if you're going to hire someone for this that's not the information you'd be going after unless you were a direct competitor or you know had some vested interest in something like that so Right, right. And it's not, well, it sounds like proprietary information, right? Mm-hmm. So that is an interesting article. So yeah, unless you've got any additional comments, I think that kind of concludes our, our weekly five top threat hunting headlines. You got anything else you want to add, Lee? No, I am good here. Thank you, Polly. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining our Out of the Woods threat hunting podcast. I'm looking forward to syncing back up with everyone next week. With that, that closes out the top five threat hunting headlines for the week of December 12th, 2022. Everyone have a good one. Happy hunting. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Out of the Woods podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Cyborg Security, check us out online at www.cyborgsecurity.com and follow us on social media. We'll see you next time.